Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. We're working through the book of 2 Timothy. We're in the pastoral letters for those who haven't been here before. Uh, we're just um, taking it piece by piece and unpacking it and seeing how it applies to our lives. But 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Amen. You know, we sometimes uh, like to just choose the best bits of the Bible, don't we? And in a, it's tempting as a preacher to preach from all those positive, um, you know, powerful ones that we, we know well. But today, today we're going to unpack perhaps a less uh, popular piece of Scripture because it's the next bit in the, in the book of Second Timothy. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for us to like the teaching, Hey, we have a culture where we like teaching, and we have often have people say, we want diva teaching, you know, and, uh, and we like to be in training. There's actually quite a culture around training these days, and in fact, it's a uh, multi-million dollar industry in New Zealand to offer training. So we like the teaching, we like the training, but uh, not so many of us are keen on the reproof and the correction part of this verse. And because we don't hear as much about correction in this politically correct world, um, it's tempting to avoid this conflict by just, just leaving out those tricky parts of Scripture and, and focus on the good news. But that's not balanced. It's not balanced. And as many Christians drop out of regular fellowship, perhaps we need to question uh, the value of accountability to a local church. I'd like to argue that there is great gain in being part of something much bigger than us, something that rubs off all the rough edges and it challenges us to be perhaps less self-centered and it even corrects us in our journey. And this verse talks about rebuking, correcting, and we get that when we're part of something that's bigger than us. We get that when we belong to a family. Amen? You know, we, we can just use our podcasts or go online, go, go onto YouTube and, and many other ways and get all the world's best teaching, uh, you know, with very little effort. You know, we just click on the thing and there it is. Um, and, and so why give up half a day and dress up to come here, um, you know, <laughs> to gain this spiritual input? And you're wondering now where I'm going with all this. And um, perhaps you've realized that I'm going to be speaking today about the value of being in community with believers. And so if you were hoping for a feel-good message um, perhaps you'll uh, have to realign your thoughts here. So <clears throat> hang in there. Hang in there with me. 
we're going to get to some uh, real keys for overcoming this self-centeredness within us. Hey, this message might be a little bit somber, and it would have been tempting to leave out this little piece of Scripture in Paul's second letter to Timothy, but by doing that, I would have been guilty of sugarcoating Paul's message and making it more palatable for our postmodern mindset. So I've called this message the Me Generation Cure. The Me Generation Cure. So at, at the heart of this letter from Paul to Timothy, a much younger and less experienced leader in training, there's this strong bond based on a covenant relationship. This close-knit thing between Paul and Timothy is kind of the backdrop or the basis for this letter. And that bond is such that Paul can speak into Timothy's life, both encouragement and correction. And despite their differences or age gap or you know backgrounds, Paul is committed to this. He's committed to train up Timothy as a minister of the gospel in good times and bad. And we need people like that, eh? That'll stand with us in good times and bad. Amen? As we know, that only works, though, when both parties uh, catch that vision and commit to it. You know, in order to take up Paul's mantle, his mantle of of leadership and, and, and evangelism, Paul needed to say it how it was to Timothy. He didn't need to sugarcoat it. He needed to say what it was going to involve. It was going to involve persecution. It was going to involve hard times. And so Paul is warning Timothy of something we are seeing more and more in our society, and that is rampant individualism, where it's all about me. <clears throat> So let's turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, and read this tough bit of Scripture. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Whoa. Whew, you still with me? <laughs> Well, you can see why I nearly left this bit out. (laughs) This is a harsh word because these people are not out there. They're here. They're potentially us. They're potentially the good guys in the last days. So if we unpack this a little bit, we see that uh, verse 1 starts with the phrase, but realize this that in the last days difficult times will come. See, over the centuries since this was written, many look around them at society and say, wow, we must be living in the last times. Look, 
the people that are just like this. This is what they're like. But we need to say, hey, this is what we're like. This is like we have the potential to be. And you know, I'm those things. And I'd like to suggest that even Paul believed he and Timothy were living in the last days, in the first century. And that's why this last day sense of urgency runs almost right through the New Testament. You see, the gospel was so transformational when accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit that they were willing to die for it. And we have to get the word out now because it could be too late soon. In order to reach those locked up in self-centeredness, they preached an urgent call to repentance. The but realized this referred to those actually in the previous chapter who were getting sidetracked by foolish speculations or foolish and ignorant speculations, it says in verse 23. In other words, things of lesser importance than the gospel. You know, we are so easily distracted, aren't we? Into lesser things, into meaningless speculations and foolish, it says, speculations. But Paul calls this, in verse 26 of the previous chapter, he calls this the snare of the devil. So, before we judge the world as a lost cause and get a bit distracted by how bad things are getting based on the news, depends which news you listen to, um, let's be careful that we are not just simply agreeing with the devil. That's a real big warning there. You know, he'd have us believe that people in general are basically so selfish that they're beyond help, and we may as well give up trying. That's a snare. That's a snare. We've got to keep, keep going. We've got to keep being different in, in, in ourselves as well. Let's instead unwrap the Scripture and realize it describes us. It describes us all when we are not abiding in Christ. Verse 5 says that um, the people that's just been mentioned, uh, are self, they, they hold to a form of godliness, but they're denying the power. Denying the power. So let's begin to own this personally and say that basically this list that I've read is speaking of us Christians when we're not in Christ. You see, verse 5 says that there's power in godliness. It's basically saying there's power in it, but if we're not 100%, then it's just a form of power, um, form of godliness, sorry. And we, we know, don't we, there is no one 100% godly but Christ. Amen? So really, none of us qualify. We're all disqualified from being 100% godly without Christ. No one is good enough to break self-centeredness except Christ. Only with Christ at the center can we begin to reflect him more and more to those who are without culture. So the me culture is actually all of us outside of Christ. 
If you don't know Jesus today, then this could be the day to meet him because he is the cure to self-centeredness or selfish living. So I want to just go on to come to some of these keys today because there are keys. This is the good news. There are keys to curing the me mindset. And number one is to be born again. To be born again. So step one is, is in overcoming the love of self is to be born again. Only in Christ are we able to have his righteousness like a cloak covering our filthy rags of our old nature. So as our spiritual eyes are open to his love and his grace, we begin to desire his will over our own. Did you catch that? When, we are, when our spiritual eyes are open, we desire his will over our own. Being born again gives us joy, a peace and spiritual power and changes much. But just like the people of Israel, we still have to rid enemies out of this new promised land, this Christian life. We have to rid this new Christian life of the enemies of our soul. And I think the biggest giant that we have to rid out of our life is our independent spirit. <coughs> Doing it my way. Me, myself, and I. We have to in get rid of that independent spirit. We may have been saved by grace alone, but we are not saved to be alone in our faith. So we get right with God. But then we need to get right with each other and belong. See, God designed us to be in community once we're saved, not just to battle it along as a Lone Ranger Christian. You say, why is that? Well, recent studies have shown that there is an incredible loneliness in society at the moment, despite all of the ways we can communicate with each other via multimedia. Recent studies have even shown that 18 to 22-year-olds are the most lonely group in, the, in our society. 18 to 22-year-olds are the most lonely. In fact, they are 32% more likely to be lonely than any other age group. That's staggering, isn't it, in a high-tech world of communication. So rampant, and this is a big word, rampant postmodern individualism has produced a lonely up-and-coming generation. I remember at that age, I was part of a music band, and um, I used to pick up two of the band members virtually every time we went anywhere, because they were the closest. But... God knew what he was doing because at the end of every gig, I'd drop them off, but they wouldn't get out of the car. <laughs> We'd have like up to an hour or maybe two hours chatting, talking, sharing ideas, bouncing stuff off each other. They'd correct me. I'd sort of say things back to them, but it was, it was this curbside prayer partner that I had. These two people were prayer partners curbside prayer partners. And I don't think I would have got through those years with my faith intact if it hadn't been for that curbside prayer partners 
for those two people. You know, we need someone to bounce stuff off, our lows, our highs. You know, I look back at that time as a pretty big shift to me going for God and not for myself. So step two in our journey is actually to be accountable to others, to those whose God's placed in our community with us. So number one, to be born again. Number two, join. This is my list that Jeremy referred to last week and Mark, (laughs) the Murray list thing. Number two is join the right community. Join the right community. So over the recent decades, we, I think as a church, you know, universal, have not perhaps emphasized enough the need to belong once we believe. It's almost as if our decision to follow Christ is detached from any you know, need or responsibility to belong to his church. This expressive individualism has allowed people to leave any group that doesn't suit their needs. And at the extreme end of individualism, we see people... Oh, sorry, at the extreme opposite end of individualism, we perhaps see people now joining groups that are not healthy, unhealthy. It's kind of almost a tribalism, community tribalism that is centered on negative things of distrust and put-downs and a them-and-us mindset. So on the one hand, we've got individualism, and at the other end, we've got the unhealthy gathering of people around a negative cause who are out to get something sorted in the world, perhaps. And this is unhealthy, at the risk of bordering on tribalism and being controlling the church has often allowed believers a free reign in the middle there. We don't want to be controlling. We don't want to be that other extreme. So we've, we've let people to their own devices and their own discipleship instead of offering to mentor and shape values within new Christians, as Paul did for Timothy. In a sense, we've lost that one-on-one, arm's-length discipleship. And this is, this is not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is that all through Scripture we see where people have made covenants with God and with each other. We look at Daniel and his friends. Remember the story of the, the lion's den? And the three friends going and facing the furnace? They had a covenant. They were committed to each other. Abraham had a covenant with God, of course, that undergirds and and runs right through Scripture. A covenant is based on shared values and on a commitment not to give up. A contract, on the other hand, which we are so much more familiar with now, a contract is really simply just based on giving and receiving of benefits. A covenant is based on values. Covenant is based on a value and a decision not to give up. When Jenny and I were married, we decided we are not going to give up. 
no matter how hard it is, no matter how, bad, how through the bad times and the hard times, we are not going to give up. We're committed to this. And it gets better and better when we do. All through Scripture, we see these covenants. Paul describes a problem in verse 7 and verse 9, so we're just going to read that, of people who opposed these covenants. Verse 7 of chapter 3, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Man, doesn't that sum up a lot of our generation? Always learning, one course after another, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be made clear. But let's read verse 10. This is the antidote. But you, however, Paul says to Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, and the kinds of things that happened to me in all these places. So in other words, he's saying, but Timothy, don't fall out of fellowship with the, the, right, the right influence. Follow what I've taught you. You know, this one-on-one -on -one thing that we've had will be your strength in those hard times. I'm not going to be here forever. My time's nearly up. You've got to carry on, and you need all that I've taught you. Paul made a covenant with Timothy and mentored him, and we need to grow where we're planted. Wherever we're planted, we need to grow there, even when it's tough. I remember being on part of a, a, a team, a leadership team at another church, and I was very young when I, when I was started, and we had some tough times. We had some big arguments and disagreements. And I remember an older man who, uh, you know, was, was sometimes part of the problem and sometimes part of the answer. But anyway, he said, he said, even if we can't agree, the true Christian keeps going and supports the group. I learned a lot from that. It wasn't the greatest time of my life, I thought. But looking back, by sticking it out, a lot of stuff got rubbed off my selfishness. Join the right community and stick with it. That's number two. Number three, keep your promises. You know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 15. And we're going to read it. It's not very long. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe 
against the innocents. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And the message version backs it up and says, keep your word even if it costs you. Keep your word even if it costs you. And we have a bit of a me generation, and I'm not saying it's just a certain age group. We have a me culture, really, out there that says, if it doesn't suit me, I won't turn up. Hey. And some people are now being really, really honest, and they're saying, actually, I'll, I'll come to your party unless I get a better offer. But most of us fob it off and just sort of give a feeble excuse for why we can't come, eh? But the Bible says, swear to your own hurt. It's an old-fashioned way of saying, keep your word. It means, even if it hurt, keep doing what you said you'd do, what you promised to do. You got this exciting thing comes up, but you're already committed to something else. Darn. What do you do? Big dilemma. Bible says God honors those who swear to their own hurt. And I could quote, you know, many examples of the Bible where people swore to their own hurt and they did things that were horrible because they promised to do that. And God honored them for it. And they end up in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame for their faith. They honored God because. They kept their word, they kept their promise, they did what they said. You know, Psalm 15 ends by saying, he who does these things will never be shaken. That's a great promise. If you want strength, stability, and never to be shaken, then do these things in Psalm 15. You know, the Lord honors those who follow him despite persecution. He honors those who stick at relationships because they made a promise. He honors those who keep serving in less than perfect conditions or for less money because they made a contract or a promise to do so. I heard of someone just this last week who had been offered a lot more money to do a, a, a job, but he said, I keep my word. I want to do the, the job I've, I've committed to. On Friday night, I was at a 21st, and, and the young girl, whose 21st it was, really honoured an old boss who I knew she'd had a lot of trouble with, but she honoured him for confronting selfishness in her life. And there was rest, restoration there, right there in that moment. Those two were restored because he thought he'd been too hard on her. She said, you made a difference. I changed my life because of you. Isn't that awesome? You see, we need to be rebuked sometimes. We need community. We need to do life with people who will be honest. I might have told this story once before, but one day my dad had promised to come to, to where I was working and... Um, it was way, way before the time of cell phones. It was over 40-something years ago. And uh, I had a big problem. I got this thing, machine stuck, and he said he'd come and help. And um, <clears throat> finally, a little bit late, he turned up. And it was good. He kept his word. But I didn't realize 
at what cost he had kept his word. He had been with some people who had just turned up and they were having a great time over a cup of tea. My dad had cancer. He didn't have long to live. He would never see these people again. And he said, I have to go and see my son. I have promised to go and be with him. He left that, that time of, with him, cut it short. How are you going with your me culture and promises? To wrap this up, the world thinks perhaps that um, winning lotto would bring them much joy or perhaps being able to travel the world or perhaps do a, uh, an RV trip around New Zealand. But if you've got no community or honest people who would correct you, then money just buys you time to keep failing every test of perseverance and self-denial in your life. There's joy in sticking at it. There's joy in having people tell you when you're wrong, even if you don't know it at the time. 2 Timothy 3 teaches us that in the end, we will be equipped and rewarded for being in a covenant relationship with the Lord and with a community of faith, along with correction and even some knockbacks. It's the sandpaper of rebuke that smooths off the bumps of self-centeredness. And real joy comes from the covenants we keep with God and others. So can self-centeredness be cured? While we have this old sin nature, there will be conflict, but the antidote for selfishness is to be washed by the blood of Jesus by having a teachable spirit in covenant promise-keeping relationships. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful gift called church. We also thank you for grace that enables us to be even at the starting line or to be part of it. Lord, we praise you for what was accomplished on the cross. Lord, we thank you that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for every selfish thing I've ever done. Lord, that you've washed each and every person here who's bowed the knee and said, Lord, here am I. And so, Father, I just pray that we would go from that point to finding these, these covenant relationships that will bump off those things of us that need to be dealt to. And we just pray, Lord, that we'd continue to honor you in our life by keeping promises and just serving you above all else. Lord, making the gospel, our primary focus to see that people need salvation more than ever in this lonely, desperate culture. Lord, help us to be cured of the me culture right now today, to set our feet on the right path towards you, towards what you have in store. We are calling, Lord, and to see us be fully equipped as Timothy was in Jesus' name. 
beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.